October 14th, 1997. I have so much work to do, but I feel that it is important to log these coincidences now in case they amount to something later. I got home last night from a week in Chicago for the Friends of Conservation hosted by Rudy Butler Kent and Jim Fowler. Judy Watson and Jamie had last had left last Wednesday in an extended van, but said it overheated in Bushnell and that the mechanic said it would be a $650 to repair. I took Dad, Kenny, and Tom Watson up there with my Jeep and Don's Dodge van with the intention of moving everything out of the bigger van down to the smaller van and my Jeep and taking two cars to Chicago. We were able to cram everything into the one van and I sent my Jeep back. The water pump, which was only a few months old, failed on the Jeep's return to Tampa. Dad and Kenny worked on the Jeep and began to make some frightening discoveries. When the Jeep first started overheating this summer, I asked Don to fix it, and he told me that Kenny said, and he told me and Kenny that it couldn't be fixed, and kept asking me to drive the silver station wagon, the $600 car with no title. The kids like to drive the wagon because it has more kids for more seats, and Don said that the brakes were bad and that he was repairing them one day as I walked past the shed. The brakes had never been bad before, but they felt different from my brakes, so I didn't question it any further, like to ask why he was doing the repair when he always pays the old man next door, James Jennings, to do this kind of stuff. When he got through, Don went looking for Jamie and told her that he had fixed the wagon and that it was now safe and they could ride in it any time they wanted. She and her friends were a little leery of the car after that because Don had not wanted them driving it before and he would never have cared about her safety. I, he would never have cared about their safety. I remember the night before Don disappeared how anxious he was to bring that car home at four in the morning when it had overheated on me. There was no reason why it could not have sat there until the following morning when Kenny could have recorded it in on his way to work. If Don knew he was going somewhere very early Monday, why did he bother with the car so late? Monday morning when I blew the engine up on the interstate in the silver wagon, I called Kenny to wrecker it in. It was then that he discovered that Don had completely removed two of the brakes and had sabotaged the remaining brake assembly. In the meanwhile, I had asked Kenny for a second opinion on my Jeep, and he had told me he could fix it for a $24 water pump. I had bought the pump and had him install it, and when Don found out, he went into a rage and kept telling Kenny that my Jeep could not be fixed and that he didn't want Kenny to touch the car. I paid Kenny on the side to do it anyway while Don was gone. The water pump fixed the overheating problem and I had started using the Jeep again. Before the water pump scene, Jamie had noticed while following me home from church that I had no brake lights and I had asked Don to fix them. He told me that he had Kenny do it. I did not check behind him. Again, before the water pump scene, one of our volunteers told me that I had no brake lights. I asked Don about it and he started blaming Kenny and saying that he specifically told Kenny to fix the lights and that he would take care of it. He never did. But he lied to me and told me that they were operating just fine when we checked them out. I stepped on the brakes and Don said he could see them light up. When Kenny worked on the water pump, I meant to ask him to check out the brake lights, but I forgot to. Just recently, somebody said that I didn't have brake lights, so I asked Kenny to fix them and I drove extra carefully in the meanwhile. Driving to Bushnell, I told Tom Watson, who would be driving my Jeep back to Tampa, if we didn't need it, that he should be careful because my brake lights were still out. When they returned to Tampa and began working on the car, Kenny and Dad disassembled the entire brake system.
from the lens caps to the dashboard and under the hood. What they discovered is that someone had cut the power lines to both brake lights and had retaped them to disguise the fact that one of each dual line had been severed. Whoever had done this had gone the extra bother to just barely connect the lines so that if a tester was used under the hood, it would give the appearance of power to the lights, but the least little jolt, in this case slamming the hood, was enough to disconnect the lines that had just slid into place but not attached. Only Dom would have had the time to do so much to my car without anyone thinking about him messing under the hood. Then there's, and then the rest of these are just like bullet points that at the time meant something to me, and now a lot of missing information, of course. It says, and then there's the thing with the mobile home that Don bought for my parents next door. I have no idea. Jamie's house, where Don insisted she was only to have space heaters, used ones at that, and no central heater air. The gas dryer outside and the gas oven inside that would make a good excuse for an accident. The fact that I cannot escape the house, all of the windows are screwed shut, and the gates around the yard could be locked as well. The blue metal bender falling right where Dad was working, and Don pulling his van in the way to keep my dad and I from being able to exit without walking right into the path of the falling ton of metal. That one I do remember. It was a gigantic thing. <laughs> it was called a metal break. And so what you would do is like you'd take one of those five foot wide by 15 foot long pieces of wire mesh like our cages are made out of. And then you would slide it into this track. And then by pulling this big bar down, you could actually fold the wire. So you could take a flat piece of something and you could fold it to a 45 degree angle. And this thing was setting up in between all of the piles of junk and trash on both sides of it. And then on the back side of it, you couldn't go through because there was the brake assembly and the bar and everything. So there was only one way to walk through there. And just as my dad and I were walking out through there, the thing starts to fall and Don pulls right up in front of us and there's no way we could outrun it to not be hit by it. And so we just stopped and the whole thing came down over the top of us, but because it's like a, a frame, it's not like a whole flat thing. It didn't kill us, but it just seemed like bad timing at the time. And I have no idea what made the thing fall over. That, that just didn't make any sense at all. We couldn't see anything that would have caused that to happen. Those things are meant for withstanding an awful lot of pressure and standing up, not falling over. And then this last one, I also remember some detail. The last one says, the crane dropping the tree at my feet and then taking out the fence. In retrospect, I think Don was swinging it at me and it just fell short. So we had brought in, when they built the mall down the street from us, they took out all of these beautiful hundred-year-old grandfather oaks. And when I saw that they were just piling up these trees, I went down there and I said, um, would it be okay if we take those trees instead of you guys chopping them up or burning them? And what I wanted to do was take them to the sanctuary and then build cages around them. And so that was the original platforms and stuff that our cats had were these huge, gorgeous oak trees laying on their sides because they were dead um, in the cages. And so we had brought them down with forklifts and flatbeds and all of that sort of thing. And we were building a cage out on the lake bank, which is now where the fishing cat cages are. But back then it was a chain link cage for servals. And so it um, was three sides of chain link and then it went out into the water and there was a chain link fence out in the water so that the cats could actually go out there and swim. 
and we were putting one of those trees in. And so Don was operating the, I think the crane, I think it said, yeah, the crane. And so he had picked up the tree and he was placing it over the fence because he had to pick it up over the fence and then set it in the cage. And I, he was insisting that I go in there and show him where to point it. And it's like, you got this huge <laughs> cage. It ran, I don't even know how many hundred feet. And it's like, put it anywhere. It'll be fine. And he was like, no, 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 you got to get in there and show me exactly where you want this. I'm like, anywhere's fine. And so anyway, we had this argument. I finally was like, all right, this is never going to happen unless I just go in the cage and say, here. So I go inside and he comes over the fence with that thing and is just like swinging it toward me. And the whole thing breaks and falls into the cage, like right at my feet instead of just knocking right into me. And again, I just thought it was like, you know, stupid error of how fast he was moving and how heavy this thing was. And then later after he disappears and I don't know what's going on and where he is and I've got all of these theories going through my head and it was like, geez, was, was he trying to kill me with that? Because there was an awful lot of these incidences that were coming up. And so that was why I decided to notate some of these here. And then you'll see in following entries where I reach out to the police.